0: What's up, you guys? It's your host, Anna. Welcome to this week's episode on Undereducated. Today, we are talking all about an incredible resource for parents-to-be, new parents, veteran parents, literally everyone out there. It is amazing. I am here with Ashley. She is the founder and CEO of Birth Smarter. If you haven't heard about Birth Smarter before, it is a birth and parenting education resource that is truly unlike any other service I've ever come across. So believe me when I say you will definitely be more educated when you finish this one. Let's get going. Herself, and we'll get going.
1: Hi, everybody, thanks for having me, Anna.
0: You are so welcome. So, tell us about yourself. I'm curious where you kind of decided to dive into birth work and how this whole idea for Birth Smarter kind of evolved into what it is today.
1: Yeah, I think that when I've been introducing myself recently, because we all go through phases where we have to question our identity and decide how we want to put ourselves out into the world. Absolutely. Um, but as I've been questioning this, rec- or, you know, figuring it out recently, I, I like leading with the fact that I'm an educator, um, because that has been the theme that has been consistent throughout my life, hmm. um, even though I always haven't, like, I haven't always been in the birth world or the education or teaching world, but I knew When I was three, that I wanted to be a teacher.
0: Okay. Um,
1: (laughs) And there's a great video of me sitting, and I figured out at three how to do that thing that teachers do and librarians do where they hold a book like facing the audience, but they still read it. And I couldn't read, (laughs) um, but I could hold the book like that, and I could tell my family or my animals whatever the story. That's Um, amazing. And I think that I've always also been like very drawn to families and babies. Um, I have a lot of younger cousins. Um, so helping my aunts take care of them and then be the first babysitter. And I think I got my first paid babysitting job at maybe 11 and carried me through so many amazing families through college. Um, that I wanted to blend something with my care for babies and my desire to teach and be in front of people. And Mm -hmm. um, despite potential stumblings here, like I'm relatively articulate, but (laughs) I... uh,
0: You're talking to me who stumbles over
1: words every other (laughs) sentence. So it's fine. Um, (laughs) I think I thought that teaching was the only option. Hmm. Like I didn't know that there was another path. Yeah, And so um, when I went to college... I, I majored in political science because my college didn't have a major in education, like theory. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I minored in education and I got my teaching certificate. I was in Pennsylvania at the time, so it okay. was for Pennsylvania. Um, and the plan was to graduate and get a job teaching. Um, the problem was I couldn't figure out what I wanted to teach. Um, okay. So in getting my teaching certification, I taught in amazing nursery schools and preschools um and was so happy and was like I'm definitely gonna do this and then I taught in middle schools and felt really happy and was sure I was gonna (laughs) do that and then I taught in high school and there were elements of high school teaching that I was like this is this is where it's at I love high school teaching but I didn't like writing the curriculums Mm -hmm. and there were I never found my place um and I guess somehow luckily uh, there were hiring freezes around up and down the East Coast when I graduated from school, uh, just like really terrible budget cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, maybe I'll take a year. This is a sign that yeah. I don't need to jump into anything, um, and I can figure out what I want to do with my life. Um, and I went on a road trip, and I worked in the Caribbean, and I, I lived the best life you can I live. I love it. Yeah, at that's 21. amazing. Um, <laughs> And that whole time, too, I was like, I guess I need to apply to get my master's in education. Like, that's the thing you do next.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're, like, feeling this drive. You're like, I'm supposed to be a I, teacher. Yeah. Like, that's my next step. You know?
1: Um, and I don't know why. I Oh, I do know why. I do know why I didn't apply. My mother-in-law is a teacher and she knew for years, I knew her then through college, uh, she knew for years that I wanted to be a teacher and I had a conversation with her and I was like, I guess I'm going to apply to get my master's. And she was like, you totally can, but I'm not sure you're going to love it because Mm -hmm. teaching right now is really hard. It's really stressful. Teachers are just not having a great time and like, I don't want to see you fall into that. And it was enough permission that I was like, yeah, I don't really want to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I want to do, but I know that, like, pursuing a life where I just teach for the next 30 years, like, didn't check my boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and my now husband, we moved back to New York for him. He started grad school. And I had two years where I nannied, I catered, I wound up starting a cooperative preschool for two-year-olds in my neighborhood I then fell into postpartum doula work because I would tell people oh I take care of babies and I cook and I help moms when they're really busy and I think maybe it's a company I don't know and they were like oh it sounds like you're a postpartum doula you're like Oh, it has a name. That's a job. a job. (laughs) like, what have I been doing? (laughs) And I can get paid more money if I'm a postpartum doula than if I'm a babysitter that does all these other things things in your house. (laughs) So I became a postpartum doula. And then the next week I signed up for a a lactation counseling class because I was like, I can't help people with newborns if I don't know about breastfeeding, um, and I worked happily as a postpartum doula for the mm-hmm. better part of two years. Okay, It was a really great job. It was a natural fit, and I became very busy very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can happen in New York City. Yes.
0: I also think if more people knew about postpartum doulas, yeah. especially out here, <laughs> yeah, like, it would be huge. Yeah.
1: And I just <laughs> fell into some clients who worked at companies where everybody was having babies. So mm-hmm. I like got passed from person to person. Amazing. You know, this referral system. Yeah. Was like, it was great. Lovely. great. <laughs> I was like the doula to the tech generation. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then one client said, um, you know, we haven't had, they hired me prenatally. Okay. And they said, we haven't had luck firing. High, finding someone or hiring someone to be our birth doula. Okay. And I was like, y'all, yeah, that's a bummer. I I don't know. I bodies really gross me out. So, <laughs> you're like probably not for me that's but That's my touch thing. You on the flip side. And they were like, man, we wish that you were also a birth doula mm-hmm. because you have this energy that like would be really helpful.
0: Yeah.
1: And I really really liked them and was like M- maybe I'll see. Mhm. And I did a birth doula training, and it changed my whole life because I was born in a very big hospital in New York City. My mom had an epidural. Mm-hmm. She has a very funny story in the way that like 1980s movies are funny when they think about birth, where yes. my dad and the male OB like ate pizza and ignored her.
0: Oh, she's like hanging out, waiting.
1: <laughs> and oh. I thought that's what birth was like. And I grew up in a very alternative family, but birth was never something that I questioned. Just, I don't know why. Yeah, you're just like, this is what it was, and that's it. So I sort of assumed that you went to the hospital and you had your babies, and then if you chose to do something like not have an epidural or not be in a hospital, you were trying to prove something or solve for something, Mm -hmm. and like that just... It didn't resonate with me at the time. Mm -hmm. And in my birth doula training, we learned about two things. We learned about oxytocin and how um, physiologically you need to have these, you need to have the release of a very positive hormone in order to have contractions. Mm -hmm. And how evolutionarily that process keeps us and our babies safe. Because if we feel scared or stressed, it means it's not a safe time to welcome a baby into the world. Mm Or be newly postpartum, because we'll get eaten by a lion or something. Yes. yes. <laughs> right? And I was like, oh, man, that makes so much sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How do people not know this? And how yeah. is oxytocin like stimulated in the hospitals without pitocin?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not. Yeah. Very, very infrequently, <laughs> I will say. <laughs> and, um, and then we learned about nitrous oxide. Uh, this like really wonderful way that you could take some of the pain away or dissociate from the pain and labor. Um, And it didn't cross the placental barrier. Mm -hmm. And um, just what an, what an amazing option it was all around the world. And oh, wait, we don't have that in New York City. Oh, no way. No. Like now it's starting, maybe depends on the hospital and COVID. And yeah, I was going to say we did have a wave with, the COVID thing where it was like not allowed because yeah. it was an
0: aerosolizing procedure then and yeah. then everybody had to be on precautions and it became yeah. like a big to do. But this training, this nitrous. was also 2012. Okay. So, yeah. but still, I'm kind of blown away that they didn't even have the option.
1: Yeah. Hmm. And I was like, mm, I also am a little bit of a skeptic. And I think as soon as the door was opened for me and I could connect some dots and I could see the business
2: mm-hmm.
1: of birth, especially in New York. Um, and I could see the sexism in birth and the racism in birth. Mm-hmm. All of it just like very, very quickly. It was like a movie going on high speed, you know? Like mm-hmm. you're fast forwarding to me being like, oh, 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 I get it. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> wait, I just put it I all get together. It. <laughs> and I think being a doula is a really good thing, a birth doula. And I can get over my like fear of being around like something yucky happening mm-hmm. to show up for people. Um, And so I attended a few births and it, it's transformative. It right? really is <laughs> like oh my gosh, and I hadn't had a kid yet. Okay, right? So, this so is like I'm your like first new, okay, brand new to all of it. Um, though my postpartum doula business was picking up, and I think <laughs> I will say, in case there are birth workers listening, I was told when I became a postpartum doula, maybe at 22, that one person in particular in New York City who had a small agency. Did not want to hire me because I was so young and inexperienced. Mm. She said, "I mm-hmm. was really young; I hadn't had a kid." And I said, "Yeah, but I've been working with families and babies since I'm You're like I, for the forever, last twelve years, right?" <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm really good at this. And I cook. I grew up in a family of, mm-hmm. that, like, I. that's what I, I can yeah. cook. And I think that's a wonderful skill for postpartum doulas to have is that skill where you can open the fridge and make something that's yes. delicious, right? Yes. Um, and I was like, I can help people. Um, <laughs> You're like, I do have something to offer. So she I was like, no, I, I'm not going to hire you. And... I then had to go into business on my own. Mm. Um, And so opened my first LLC and was like, that's fine. I can get clients. I know enough people. Um, And I think there are so many entrepreneurial stories like that. Um, But it was really interesting how... I needed a rejection in order to have the courage to start my own thing. Mm -hmm. And then it it has very seriously snowballed. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. It's like huge, Um, Ashley. It's amazing. And um, so from being a birth doula for a little bit, I took a training to help me do my prenatal visits. It was with an organization in New York called the Childbirth Education Association. And they had one workshop on teaching labor support. So it was like... You know, we went and it was a deep dive for like six hours or really long in terms Mm -hmm. of comfort measures and how you would teach this and you could go and use those skills in your prenatal visits Mm -hmm. to explain what we're going to do in birth. And I didn't realize at the time, but I was then in a room with other people who had signed up. I was just a doula, right? And they were, most of them were in the Childbirth Education Association's program to become childbirth educators. Okay. And I was like, what is that? What? Tell me more. Yes, you're like, um, is there more I can do? You all teach classes with this stuff. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Um, And that is what I want to do because I can go back to this passion I have for thinking about how to design a curriculum that's going to have somebody retain the most information and mm-hmm. how to say the most impactful thing in the shortest amount of time. And. Um, and, and selfishly, I cannot be on call overnight, which I was not very good at.
0: It's so true. That is, if there was one thing that I could take away from birth work, it would be no babies in the middle of the night. I'm like, please, just between like
1: 7 and 10 p.m. Yeah. That's all. That would be great. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of OBs are trying to pull that off. And I know. That might be tricky. I know. Literally. Um, and I also, I knew I was going to plan to get pregnant right in that window and so it felt like a great transition
2: yeah
1: um and so I became a certified childbirth educator and I posted on Facebook that I was going to teach a childbirth education class out of my living room um and luckily I got two couples to sign up who I didn't know and one friend family friend Perfect. um so we had three couples and I was I did it I, like rocked it wrote this curriculum people were like that was so awesome we had no idea and in retrospect I realized that the bar is quite low
0: okay <laughs> <Hey>. um <laughs> because but I'm sure it was actually incredible
1: anyways <laughs> I think it was a good class it was a good class but um what's so interesting we were just talking about this before we started recording is how little people know about the human body and about the process of giving birth, both physiologically and, like, in our medical system. Yes. And so if you tell them anything, their mind is blown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's actually been a little bit of a, like, a pain point for me growing Birth Smarter Mm -hmm. because it's almost hard to articulate the difference between what we're doing and what other childbirth education companies are doing Mm -hmm. Uh, because if you don't know – Right? Or even, like, you're going to be happy with almost anything. It's all going to help. Why do you have to do this thing that's, like, so much better yes. for a moment of not yeah. being humble? Yeah. And yeah. I, think that's,
0: I think that's really important to, like, pinpoint, too, is that, like, every childbirth education course is not the same. Right. You can take one, and you will get all of the, like, what to expect, and, like, this is what could happen. Yeah. And it could be very baseline. Yeah. Or you could take one that's, like, built on a basis of personal experience and inclusive family and you know like all the details that the normal birth class that may be offered by your hospital if that's where you choose to birth may not include yep. and it's often those things that people feel blindsided by at birth because their education course didn't cover it or things like that and so to recognize that like birth smarter is extremely inclusive with all the details yeah like that's what makes it better you So. Know?
1: so I it's interesting how we got there because I was teaching I think my program trained me to be a an above average childbirth educator because Mm -hmm. from the get-go the CEA says don't teach one method don't teach one method don't teach towards one type of birth teach Mm -hmm. everything um, so I credit all of my amazing mentors and teachers in that program with that mindset. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to co-teach with people and come in and teach for organizations that were all about that. Um, and I think there are there's huge benefit to childbirth education with a company like Lamaze mm-hmm. or Bradley or Hypnobirthing, some of the big names. But what you are getting with them is you are getting a very specific, this is what we think is best mm-hmm. case. Um, and so, what I was trained to do from the beginning was pull the elements of every program that I thought was valuable and like put it together in just like a big ten vegetable soup, right? Yes. And be like, pull out the beans that you like, <laughs> and don't eat the corn if you don't want it. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I started from a higher ground, and then um, then I gave birth, and I was a little overconfident. Mm because I felt like I had so much information. And I didn't expect to have, um, uh, here's how I'll say it. I worked really hard to choose a provider who I thought would keep me safe.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I chose not to have a doula, but I had my mom attend a doula training weekend so that she could be by my side and be confident. Um, My partner and I took a five-week childbirth education course, even though I knew yeah. it. You yeah. know, I was like, I want to do this with you and not be in my professional mindset. Um, and we practiced and did all the things. And I felt like it was going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I was also young for New York. Like, I had yeah. my daughter at um, 26. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, different cultures. <laughs> yes. But, like, very, <laughs> very, very young yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. for somebody born and raised in New York City. Um, and so... Um, I also felt like I had some health advantages. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a great labor. I loved it. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, but I did have some complications during pushing, and I had a complication postpartum um, where I, I just kept fainting, actually. Mm. And it turns out that I had pretty severe internal bleeding.
2: Okay.
1: Um, and so I had emergency surgery to figure out what was going on and sort mm. that out um and i don't remember being terribly scared but i know everybody else was very 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 scared mm-hmm. um and i think one of the wonderful things about how i processed my birth is that while on paper it might hit as like a traumatic birth experience i didn't feel traumatized mm-hmm. and i think i didn't feel traumatized because of the decisions i made and the support i had like i got exactly what i needed when i needed it mm-hmm. and if I had made different choices, the likelihood of having a cesarean or having other complications that I didn't choose or that I didn't necessarily need mm-hmm. um, would have felt harder for me.
2: Yeah.
1: So I I came out of that birth, though, thinking, but I, I did all the right things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like it was a very millennial response. Yes. You're like, <laughs> why was
0: that not the outcome?
1: I prepared. Um, guys. <laughs> So I just wanted to go back into my teaching when I started again with a much less judgmental perspective and say, mm-hmm. y'all don't know. We don't know how this is going to go. So let's mm-hmm. be less focused on our outcome, whether that's vaginal birth or unmedicated birth. Mm-hmm. And let's just figure out how we can have a better journey and a better process. And I had done a lot of pelvic floor trainings, figuring out that some of my complications were likely due to my baby's positioning. Mm-hmm. It was right at the beginning of spinning babies getting popular, okay, so I yeah. did a lot of spinning babies training and Very incorporated cool. that into into our class. Um, and yeah, it would just we I started teaching a much more like honest and authentic. I don't know. Um, class on my own, still from my living room every oh, once in a it? while. Mm-hmm. I also then got hired by a boutique agency and a hospital um, where I taught very regularly. Okay, And it was really good practice for me to be teaching multiple times a month.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in neither of those places, which were both really great, like they provided high quality education and support, they just didn't come and check on me mm-hmm. all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I got a little bit of room or maybe I took a little bit of room to experiment with how I wanted to say things that were off script Mm -hmm. um and then I had a second kid and that birth also didn't go the way I thought it would okay um the beauty of birth right (laughs) yeah it was very low-key um no major trauma or complications but much for about three hours of my active labor I had contractions that were two to two and a half minutes long every Mm. nine to 12 minutes.
2: Wow.
1: Okay. Which for anybody listening who knows about the quote unquote stages of labor and phases of labor knows that that doesn't fall into one of the boxes that we give people. Mm -hmm. Because active labor should be, according to the textbook, based on a few hundred women at Columbia Hospital in the (laughs) 1950s because of the Friedman Curve um i should have had contractions that were one minute long every three to five minutes Mm -hmm. so this was really weird i did pay for a very 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 experienced doula um and looked at her and was like what's happening you're like (laughs) i don't even know and she was like i don't know but you're sleeping well between contractions so i'm kind of like kind of the dream (laughs) you're like resting a little bit (laughs) Uh, so the sleeping between contractions was the dream the contraction lasting for more than two minutes was like horrible horrible (laughs) i was like i can't i can't yeah
0: what that's a really long time
1: (laughs) and um and it passed yeah you know and that's just what my body was doing for whatever reason Um, And after that birth, I was like, I'm never teaching the stages of labor again, ever. (laughs) These are so dumb. Why do we do this? And every childbirth method teaches the stages and phases of Mm -hmm. labor at the beginning. That is like what counts as birth physiology. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, there has to be a better way. And I know everybody says that. It's like a cat, you know, but like there has to be a better way.
0: Yeah, it's actually, if I'm like totally honest, it's one of the things that has bothered me working as a labor and delivery nurse because you would see these women be put into the system of, like, okay, you have this long to hopefully have your baby before said interventions may be, you know, a possibility. And if they weren't meeting what is called, like, the active labor, check your boxes, all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe she d- needs an intervention. And yeah. it's like, or yeah, she doesn't have enough oxytocin. <laughs> right. Because guess what? She's probably scared. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all these other factors that often get overlooked because of these points they're supposed to be meeting for where right. they are in labor. When in reality, like, birth is different every time. Everyone's body is different while it's physiological. Like, your body's going to respond differently. Yeah. You know? And so it's, it's really hard to say, okay, you're in stage two. You should be meeting XYZ. You yeah. know? And have that be the case for everyone because it just isn't
1: but we two things right one is we do the best with the information we have so until now there's been no other way to explain this Mm -hmm. unexplainable thing yes (laughs) and the other is that our world right our generation of people giving birth but also the generation of nurses and doctors and providers we crave not just data but also like logic and, Mm -hmm. and points that we can follow. And so even though a lot of providers know it's not quite right without an alternative, this feels like, well, we'll just stick to it, but also we know there's wiggle room. Yes. And so what I did, um, it probably took about two years to like really, find something that I felt good about and that has now been checked against many midwives and OBs and doulas and birthing families to be like, am I missing something? It's very strange to come up with a new idea Mm -hmm. and then be like, it's just an idea. It's not like I made a product. I just came up with a new idea. But I was like, I don't want to teach people something that isn't going to happen. And I don't want to teach people to be scared. The other things that are taught are like about the cascade of interventions or the Lamaze Six Healthy Birth Practices. like When we teach things that are outside of people's control, then what happens is after your birth, if it didn't go the way you wanted, it can feel like your fault. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so all I wanted to do was come up with what had to happen in the body and how people could help make that happen. And if we just focus on that, then we can learn about interventions and the, the system, but it doesn't, it's not the focus of the mm-hmm. class.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, obviously, you need to have contractions in order to have a baby. That was a given. And the mechanism for contractions is oxytocin. Cool, right? We can start with that. You need to produce oxytocin, it's going to give you contractions. The contractions are going to push the baby down, soften the cervix and pull the cervix out of the way so contractions help you dilate you need to dilate but you can't control dilation mm-hmm. you can control contractions and contractions make you dilate so like that felt very actionable to me and if presented in that way it wouldn't feel like a hippie alternative like you need to feel relaxed and like yeah, so chant in you your birth
0: this way, yeah. you can
1: do whatever it is you want to do where you're not don't feel scared and don't feel stressed yeah. And then I realized, okay, but if you had a lot of contractions and your cervix wasn't soft, then the contractions couldn't pull the cervix up and out of the way. They couldn't make the dilation happen. So you need to have the cervix soften, which is primarily with prostaglandins, right? The Mm -hmm. release of prostaglandins in the body. So it felt like there was one key action with uterine contractions, and then there was like another key element of the cervix softening, with the release of prostaglandins, which is from the position of the baby's head, fetal alignment—that's really interesting. So all this stuff we do prenatally maybe does matter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it was like cool, cool, cool. And there was a there was an Instagram graphic that came out recently, or I guess this was a bunch of years ago now, but that showed that like baby baby descends, cervix dilates, uterus contracts, cervix dilates, and then the baby is born.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And spinning babies really is like. Yo, that's not true (laughs) because when you look at a bony pelvis and you see the ischial spines and you see a way the baby is positioned and the pelvic inlet versus the pelvic outlet, you know that it's not, as Caprice, one of our educators says, she says, the pelvis is not a water slide, Mm -hmm. right? They don't just slip out. So babies need to do a rotation. They need to do the cardinal movements. Mm -hmm. And there's not a hormone or a hormone-like substance that makes that happen, Right. That's actually just from movement. Mm -hmm. That's a gravity issue. So it seems like in any body of any age, of any size, whether or not you have an epidural, whether or not you get induced, in order for a baby to come out vaginally, you need uterine contractions, you need the cervix to get soft, and you need the baby to rotate. And that became the birth murder three actions. And we start every class, going into the anatomy and that physiology and then we teach you what to do about it right like well then how do you create oxytocin how do you create prostaglandins and how can you move yeah you're taking like something that seems like you have very
0: little control over and literally handing you this bag of tools saying hey these are three things that you can have a level of control over yeah in your birth which yeah. is so empowering yeah like, crazy
1: (laughs) yeah and it's the tool you know the tools we and I will I will be like self-critical about birth smarter I think we could do a better job giving people more tools Mm -hmm. I think that's where doulas come in yeah like I think the marriage between birth smarter classes and doulas is like we're going to give you the blueprint right we're going to explain why behind all of these things Mm -hmm. and we're going to give you like what tools we think might help but then we really want you to go Use a doula or spend more time practicing so you figure out what tools are right for you.
0: Totally. And I think I had Beth on a couple weeks ago. Beth Hardy, who works with you. She's amazing. But I think that's one of the key things that she kind of touched on is just that, like, when it does take practice, obviously, you cannot walk into birth and say, okay, I took a birth class. Like, I should know how to do these movements and how to relax and how to, you know, make myself feel comfortable, release that oxytocin. Like, you can't snap your fingers and have that happen. But that's so beneficial to have someone who literally kind of does that as their job, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, helps you create this environment where you yeah. can do those things. And so having someone, you know, take a doula training that you want in your birth room or like hiring a doula. Yeah. That is so, so beneficial.
1: Yeah. And I think we love having doulas audit our classes as well because I think the the three actions and the framework we have developed and then we have partner responsibilities that attach to that, they give everybody just a framework for thinking more critically about what to do in a situation you've never experienced. Mm -hmm. And for first-time parents especially, you're in a situation you've never experienced. Mm -hmm. And we teach so many partners and dads specifically who are like, uh yes. I don't want to mess anything up, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so explaining how you can be the keeper of oxytocin, explaining how you can help somebody move their position and mm-hmm. how if you are the most trusted person, then then your partner who's laboring needs to look at you and see you feeling confident, right? And see mm-hmm. that energy reflected back. And how when we have this framework of okay, I need to feel safe, I need to move around, Here's how my partner can help me because they're educated, mm-hmm. and here's how my partner, you know, can't or is is still weaker in this area. Mm-hmm. So if my partner, um, you know, maybe maybe I'm giving birth and my partner is a yoga teacher and like is so in their body that that they're going to help me move around and be in positions with me, fine. But they get really like nervous around medical interventions. Mm-hmm. I want to go out and I want to look for a doula that's really confident in a hospital situation who can really help me like intellectually process that. Mm -hmm. But if I have a partner who's really good at that and like not so touchy feely, I'm going to want a doula that can fill in the gap. So it's for us, it's always more about how do we pull a team together that complements one another Mm -hmm. um, based on these core principles, right? Of what do I need to get this baby out? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: That's so powerful. And I think, obviously, like, just through talking about everything we have so far, it kind of gives insight into what people could learn in your classes, is, you know, how they can learn these three things, get their tools, and then have, hopefully, the best, most positive birth outcome that they can, based on, you know, the support level that they feel that they have in their experience of welcoming a baby into the world, because it's a huge, life-changing thing. And to have people that you trust and love and feel supported by in your birth room Truly really does make all the difference, I think, in the outcome that you perceive, and so that's just like huge step. And I think educating everybody along the way makes that a more like attainable thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. Absolutely. Um, but and I don't want to totally change subjects, but I do want to yeah. touch on the like postpartum things you offer yeah. as well, because I think that is also a huge thing that goes undereducated about (laughs) like people just do not know what they are walking into and you have so many amazing resources that new parents or parents that have been parents forever could dip into and learn something new so just
1: tell us about those okay so we have a suite of six classes or four classes depending on how you think about it for people who are expecting so we have our childbirth education class, which can be taken all together comprehensively or broken into three different classes, which is Labor and Delivery 101, Comfort and Coping, and Push Prep. Um, and we break it out both because sometimes people don't process information When too much is coming at them all at once. Mm -hmm. But also, comfort and coping and push prep are great courses to take as a standalone refresher. So, I'm having baby number two and I just want to go practice hands on stuff, or I'm Mm -hmm. having baby number two and I just want to think about my pelvic floor and pushing.
0: So nice, honestly.
1: Um, And then we offer newborn care, lactation, and postpartum planning, which should all be taken prenatally but help set you up for life after. And all of the classes that we have are based on the same model of let's figure out why, like how does this work? What is the main thing that we're getting after physiologically? So in newborn care, it's a lot about infant development. In lactation, it's how does milk supply work? Like what do we know physiologically? Um, and then we bring in this element of the societal context, right? What is the current culture around newborn care, sleep training, baby wearing, car seats, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, And then the third element, it's sort of a Venn diagram, is who are you and what's your personal context? What are your family values? What's your medical history? Mm -hmm. And so all of our classes start with that framework to say there's no right way to have a baby, to care for a baby, to feed a baby, to have your postpartum experience. Mm -hmm. Lots of people out there will tell you that there's a right way, but there's not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you want to balance physiology and sort of our system with your values and then come up with what makes sense for you. So that's applied. That framework is applied throughout any of the content. And then once you have a baby, um, then we love when everybody comes to do our six-week fourth trimester survival group. Um, And we have one for new birth parents and one for dads. We also have an LGBTQ partners meetup um, that Beth and I are reworking Um, But the survival group is, uh, honestly, I'm, this, one of the biggest silver linings of COVID has been that we made this support group virtual Mm -hmm. because in person, I don't know anybody that was leaving their house between like before four, six, eight weeks to go to new parent meetups. Yeah. And virtual means we can have people coming on at week one, two, three. Yes. They can be and lounging on their couch. <laughs> there, we—it's—it's com—It's life changing. It's game it's comp- it's changing. It's, it's completely awe inspiring to see people at eight weeks postpartum graduate from our support group, knowing how to take care of themselves, knowing mm-hmm. to go to a pelvic floor therapist, know already having seen the lactation consultant, implementing fair play methods with their partner so they have an equitable division of labor at home, like. It's not it's not a survival group in terms of like here's how you feed and here's how you sleep and right the practical elements of mm-hmm. life that's for everybody to sort out on their own mm-hmm. but it's for giving people the support the validation the permission the options mm-hmm. for how you can really like make the most of this very vulnerable but like hugely special period mm-hmm. and I think
0: In my own experience with having my own children and like talking to a bunch of other moms and people that I've had on this podcast, I feel like oftentimes in the postpartum, they are feeling like they're in this really extremely vulnerable place where others aren't experiencing what they've experienced or they don't feel like they have any camaraderie or support in what they're going through because I feel like that conversation really isn't had that often. You know, yeah. people are like, oh my gosh, how are you? Oh, I'm great. Baby's great. Yeah. How's the baby sleeping? How's the baby sleeping? Yeah. Oh, not really sleeping. I'll just sleep later. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's just like a textbook conversation. No mm-hmm. one's ever really like, wow, guess what? My baby didn't sleep through the night till they were 15 months old. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, I just I just did support group right before I came here. And, um, I mean, we're thinking about things like, well, when do you have sex? And what if you don't want to? And how does that work? And mm-hmm. what is your pelvic floor like? And what clothes do you wear? And, you know, my father-in-law is coming, and that's really stressful. And totally. I haven't been able to eat lunch. And I have all this guilt. And how does my childhood affect how I'm parenting now? Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Yes. And I think that there's something wonderful about a lot of people have started asking as the world changes again for in-person groups and we will get there Mm -hmm. i think our new york groups will start this fall in person but i'm going to hold on to the virtual survival groups because when we pull people from a wider community there is a safety that comes with anonymity Mm -hmm. that really can't be replicated and I almost think people need both. They need in-person community. I'm going to take a walk with you. I'm going to sit and have tea and then they need a place to go where they're going to be in touch with these people and chat with them and support them but they don't feel like they're going to see them at the grocery store. Yes,
0: yes. That is so powerful. I totally agree. Yeah. And how amazing that you really have kind of created this space to open the door for the for those conversations. And to create these levels of support for people, whatever their experience or their story or their insecurities be. Like, yeah. you really are finding a way to make a place for everybody. And I think that, again, is just what makes Birth Smarter better. <laughs> Can we say that? Um, yeah, I <laughs> I'm think, here to toot your horn. Th- <laughs> like, I really. mean, thank you. Go for it.
1: I think that there are places. I have definitely seen very similar programs. Yes. And I think... Um, what is unique about Birth murder is that because of my personal life and because of COVID, we are now in a very a position, which I feel really lucky to be in, where we have local community and we have an online presence. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes it's either or. Yeah. You have hyper local communities with birth education classes and postpartum support groups that are really wonderful. Um, in various towns and cities all over the country, um, or you have really big online um, education and, and community. Mm-hmm. And I think we're trying to we're trying to meet meet folks somewhere in the middle. Yeah, which I love. Okay, well, yeah.
0: Ashley, I'm just trying to think: is there anything? When when is your next birth class here in Utah?
1: Yeah, let's so make a plug there. <laughs> in Utah, we are now. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because it's been a little while of, like, how do we get this going in Salt Lake and we want to be here. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we totally turned a corner. Beth Hardy is, like, the lead educator here. I do also teach myself. Um, It makes me so happy. I came home from class the other night and I was, like, literally crying. I was, Mm -hmm. like, I haven't been this happy the whole, like, all of COVID. Just, like, getting to be back in person yes. with expectant parents. And so we're now teaching at Wasatch Midwifery. They have okay. a beautiful space um, sort of in their main building, which is, like, almost right at the base of Big Cottonwood Canyon.
2: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful um,
1: And it's a beautiful room. It's got a beautiful view. So we teach our next weekend childbirth education class is the end of October. And that Saturday-Sunday series will be meeting about every six weeks. to to, to every two months and then in between those we have a three-week childbirth ed series it's like i think three tuesdays in a row we have one in october and one in november and then we're doing newborn care and postpartum planning in person but from this point on um we're gonna be there with classes every single month so that's amazing folks can come in person you can blend oh i want to do this in person and this online mix and match we try to be as accessible both in terms of like learning styles um times the classes are offered as well as um financially we have an alternative pricing program so if anybody needs a sliding scale payment they reach out to us like
2: mm-hmm.
1: just as accessible as possible um and as inclusive as possible as you mentioned so yeah we'd love to chat with anybody who's expecting our new parent in in Utah in the Salt Lake area it's amazing people need to check you out
0: You guys, when it comes to birth preparation, you really cannot beat a good childbirth education class. Birth Smarter is an invaluable resource to parents out there and one that I wish I had known more about going into my own births. Please check out Ashley on Instagram at Birth Smarter and feel free to look into her in-person education classes that are offered here in Utah locally at Wasatch Midwifery and Wellness every month. If you're not already, follow me along on Instagram at undereducated.pod. And catch us here next week for another episode.